Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Just go over to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 13th. We're talking price hikes and growth drivers for Netflix ahead of the company's earnings report next week. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Danny Venna. Danny, how's it going? It's going good. How are things in uh, sunny Alexandria? Doing all right. It is Friday the 13th for this show. Uh, Do you have any interesting or unique superstitions? I know it's a date that uh, makes some people a little queasy. You know, most of my thoughts around superstitions are some of them are based in common sense and some of them make no sense. <laughs> Do I? Have, can you give me one that makes no sense? Um, well, black cats is an example. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure it ties back to, uh, you know, witches and black cats and that kind of thing. But it's However, not- you don't necessarily want to go walking under a ladder for common sense reasons. Sometimes it's better just not to tempt fate, right? Right. <laughs> Um, we are going to be talking about today a company that doesn't seem to have any issues right now. No, no, no superstitions. Hopefully, Friday the Thirteenth won't change that in any way. Um, Netflix—they have been on an absolute tear lately. They're near all-time highs. They've got some interesting news coming out that the market was very happy about with their price hikes. We have a lot to talk about ahead of their earnings report next week, Danny. A lot. It's always good news, though. <laughs> always good news. So why don't we first start talking about what's going on with the price hikes? Like I said, the market was very happy to see this news. And for them, I mean, it's really an easy lever for them to pull to boost revenue. So I think it's probably why we saw this positive reaction. Why don't we run through what people will be expecting with their next couple billing cycles? Okay. Uh, I think Netflix has already rolled out on their website the new prices. So for new customers, those prices are already going to start immediately. Um, For existing customers, for those that have the you know the lowest plan, seven ninety nine, uh, one stream. That will not change. The most popular plan, which is the concurrent two streams plan uh, with the HD option, that's the most popular one. That will be going from nine ninety nine to ten ninety nine, so up a buck. And then the higher option plan, the one that has. HD, Ultra HD, four concurrent streams. That the price of that plan will be going from eleven ninety nine to thirteen ninety nine. So we're seeing an increase for most subscribers of either one dollar or two dollars a month. Um, and for folks that are already using the service, uh, I believe this is something that might start hitting existing subscribers uh, mid to late October. But they will really be rolling out the increases over the next couple months, and I think they're going to be giving all their customers about 30 days' notice ahead of being hit with anything on the billing side, right? That that's my understanding. They're supposed to roll out the uh, the notification should go to customers sometime in the next uh, week or two, and then it will give them 30 days from you know the their next billing cycle uh, to make a decision. Frankly, for a dollar, I don't think many people are going to care. And I think that's kind of what the company's banking on. <laughs> you know, uh, you look at what they're offering people, and you know the fact that it's kind of the primary media consumption uh, location for a lot of people, and only paying you know eleven or thirteen dollars a month doesn't really seem like that much, given you know how many how many hours people spend streaming content on the service. Well, exactly, and I'm, if you look at your average 
cable bill runs, you know, the lower ones run $70 a month, the higher ones can run over a hundred. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of benefit to uh, on a 1099 to 1399 plan. So this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that will really meaningfully irritate consumers. You might lose a couple people here and there. But it seems like something that investors are really cheering. And I think the reason for that is you look at the company's average revenue per user over the last couple of years, and that's kind of steadily climbed both in the domestic market and the international streaming market. You know, you go back to Q2 of 2017, their most recently reported quarter, it was $10 ARPU in the US, uh, just under $8 internationally. And those numbers are based off of paid subscribers, not total subscribers. It seems like kind of a false number if you base it off of folks that are also enjoying the free trial. Um, you go back a year prior, though, and it was 880 uh, in the United States and 746 internationally. So they're showing nice growth there. And then you think about the fact that you know the average prices that most of these people are going to be paying is probably going to be going up at least a dollar, two dollars. Um, that's probably going to steadily climb in the coming quarters and over the course of the next year. I think that's true. Um, you know, trying to get a, a, an idea of how that's going to affect um, their top line and bottom line. Uh, we got a little help from uh, RBC Capital's Mark Mahaney, uh, and he estimates that uh, this incre increase will uh, create incremental revenue of about $650 million for fiscal 2018 and an additional contribution margin of about $274 million. And I put together some numbers myself before the show, just kind of ballparking what this might look like. And as if you if you take their most recent quarter, and then just say, okay, we're going to assume average revenue per user goes up by a dollar domestically. Mm -hmm. That's going to be an extra six hundred million dollars, roughly, um, that they're going to be pulling in, which is basically like a ten percent lift in revenue without any user growth. So you so you think about the levers that they have here. You know, for them to increase their revenue, it's either going to become something where they add more people to their services, more end users on the services. Or they're charging people more for using the services. Um, unless we see some crazy exodus because they're charging one dollar or two dollars more, I think that this pricing move is a great move. And also, it, it might show that there's room even higher for them to continue to expand prices in the future. You know, I'm a Netflix customer, and and I should just for full disclosure say that I'm a Netflix bull. Um, I bought my first Netflix stock back in 2007. Um, and have ridden it the entire way without selling. Um, so, you know, staunch believer in the model that they use. And it represents like 15% of my portfolio right now, having grown there. A lot of people would kill to have that cost basis, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those, every, every investor makes one really good decision. Um, the old saying goes, even a blind squirrel will occasionally find a nut. This is mine. <laughs> so, so we ran through what this might look like for them down the road. Um, when Netflix reports in this most recent uh, this most recent quarter next week, those price hikes will not be reflected in the numbers. So, um, you know that will figure into the equation once we get into calendar Q4 and beyond. But why don't we look at this upcoming quarter? I mean, they're going to be reporting next week. What should people be looking for? Uh, I know last time they reported, you put together this great article, uh, just kind of honing in on six specific metrics that really showed how they blew the doors off the quarter. What are you looking this quarter, and and kind of what are you watching? You know, pretty much like everybody else that follows the company, of course, one of the things I'll be watching is for subscriber growth, and it's worth noting that Netflix has been 
very accurate when it comes to forecasting subscriber growth. You can go all the way back a decade, um, and if my memory serves, I think they've missed, you know, they've come in on the low side probably half a dozen times in more than a decade. That's a pretty impressive track record. I'd love to have a track record like that. <laughs> I think we all would. So, what are they looking at for this upcoming quarter? So, for the quarter that's coming up now, they've forecast an overall increase of about 4% subscriber growth, um, which will be divided up about 750,000 new subscribers domestically and about 3.65 million new international subscribers. So they're looking at their overall subscriber growth to grow from just under 104 million to just over 108 million. And we talked about the different elements of that revenue number for them. You know, with prices increasing and them continuing to draw in new users, uh, that should bode pretty well for the top line, right? Uh, absolutely. They're they're looking at right now. They forecast that their revenue would increase approximately 30 percent year over year. Um, the prior quarter, you know, two up about up to sorry, 2.969 billion, so just under three billion dollars in revenue for the quarter. And they're also looking for earnings for earnings per share to more than triple, from 12 cents a share to 32 cents a share. Sorry, just less than triple. So, so we're seeing a kind of consistently profitable Netflix, which is a little surprising for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people, when they look at Netflix, they confuse the cash flow situation with the earnings situation. Um, Netflix has been spending an extremely high amount of cash. They're going to spend uh, $6 billion this year on content. Um, but a lot of that money is borrowed, and it has to be paid back over time. So it's not really affecting their uh, earnings potential right now. It will gradually over time. Um, but again, you know, if you take that take that content cost and you stretch it out over four or five years, you know, the time that they will earn subscribers over that content, it's a it's a lot different than the cash flow because they're putting out money up front to create this new content. One thing I want to go back to briefly with the with a point you made earlier was looking at what the net ads for subscribers will look like. Because looking at that 750k domestic and 3.6 million international, I think we're going to see the continuation of a trend that really kind of first got on our radar last quarter, where international becomes the, really the majority of users for Netflix. For a long time, that wasn't the case, and they finally broke through that recently. That that's exactly right. In fact, um, this will be the first quarter where paid international subscribers should exceed um, paying domestic subscribers. As you mentioned earlier, Netflix gives out a 30-day free trial to pretty much anybody who wants it. They get the free trial, and many of them keep the service. So, you know, there's always those non-paid subscribers in the mix. Um, but for this quarter, they're expecting um, paid international subscribers to exceed $52 million Versus just over 51, or sorry, 52 million subscribers versus 51 million for domestic, which is what you want to see long term because we are noticing uh, there seems to be some market saturation happening in the United States, and this is something that we're going to touch on in the second half of the show. But for this company to really live up to the growth expectations currently priced into it, 
they are going to have to uh, become kind of staples of content for all these foreign markets, right? That that's exactly right. It, We're going to talk about some of the markets where that growth might come from and how the company is handling a particularly tricky market. But before we get over that, I just want to give a shout out to Rocket Mortgage. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, just go to rocketmortgage.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, Danny, we teased up that Netflix has really never looked cheap on a standard valuation basis. Uh, but even with this point that we're getting to, where the US market is becoming increasingly saturated, we talked about how they're at 50% uh, penetration, maybe that ceiling somewhere in the 60% range. Um, we're still looking at a company with a PE over 200 and a price to sales of over eight on a trailing basis. So there are some big, big growth expectations still built into this stock. For them to make, you know, to really live up to that, the international markets are going to have to come through for them, right? Absolutely. Uh, and you know, there, the old saying goes that uh, past performance is no guarantee of future results. So we'll, you know, get that out of the way right at the front. But I think if you look back at some of Netflix's more mature international markets, we can use that as sort of a guide to see how they will progress in the rest of the world. Um, and one of the company's more mature international markets is Brazil. So if you look at uh, you know how the company has done in Brazil, uh, what we're looking at is right now, so again, we're going back to a survey that was conducted by RBC Capital, uh, Mark Mahaney. And in his survey, he found a record high 77% of surveyed Brazilians watched Netflix. And that's up from 71% the year before. 77%. And you think about that timeline we're talking about here. This is a recent note, and the company really first got into that market in 2011. So, this is something that has taken really five years to get to this point. And you look back at their decision to really massively expand. I believe that was in 2016. They made the announcement that they are effectively going into 190 countries. Um, that might give you this immediate shockwave type growth expectation. But the reality is, this is something that takes you know several years to build out, even though it is a very scalable tech platform. That's true. When you look at these, a lot of what happens is Netflix will invest in some content, they'll get into the market, and then they'll learn about their customer base there. And what works in Brazil may not work, in Germany may not work, in France. And so they cater to those you know, local markets. So those local geographies end up getting a much different experience, just depending on what their customers want. And really, for them to have a lasting effect and, and kind of establish a big footprint in these markets, localized content plays a role, right? You know, it, you can only port over um, so many, you know, English-speaking titles to foreign countries and, and have it be translated um, before you know people decide, okay, well, yeah, well, we want content that's also made for us, or you know, that is kind of designed to be in our language um, and is acted out that way. Um, so those types of content investments that the company are making, you know, that, that's part of that growth ramp that we see over a couple of years. 
That's true. I, I remember listening to uh, Reed Hastings, Netflix CEO, talking at uh, an industry conference or or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he pointed out to uh, pointed out a program called Three Percent, and the, the program Three Percent was one that they did specifically for the Brazilian market. But what they found was that not only did it do really well in Brazil, but there were pockets all over the world that really liked that show. That show did well in the United States. It did well in Germany. It did well in, in, in several other geographies. So I think that's one of the things that's going to serve them well going forward. Sure, they cater some of these programs to, to the local markets, but really quality programming is going to translate across the globe. And you look at the way that that platform is built, right? You have uh, video content, which we've seen over decades, has is very strong to consumers. You know, you look at the strength of the cable business for such a long time and how uh, how appealing that is. Um, and then you also have this data analytics platform that shows exactly what people are watching, how much of it they're watching uh, in all these local geographies. Um, having all of that underlying data is huge for them in making content decisions and kind of understanding what they need to promote in some of these local markets. To you know, increase the use case and, and the value that their service is providing for people in those markets. You know, when, it, when one of the ways that that you know shows is that when you look at the the customer satisfaction ratings, um, for instance, in Brazil, ninety um, percent of the users in Brazil were either extremely satisfied or very satisfied with the service. And 66% of them said that they were not at all likely to cancel the service. So that's an extremely high level of customer satisfaction. And that's one of the things that has made their free trial so compelling to people. Is you know you think about the number of businesses that give something away and then you know they don't wind up retaining customers. That's actually one of the big issues with recent IPO Blue Apron is they have these very high customer acquisition costs because they give away meal kits um, to get people to try the service. The problem is. You know, it's very easy for someone to do that for a couple of weeks and then decide they're not interested. Um, but by giving people a lens into you know what's behind that trial wall and get to try out you know all their Netflix originals, be able to watch some of their favorite shows, you know, like The Office or How I Met Your Mother or something like that um, on demand, that becomes something you get very used to very quickly. And uh, you know, particularly for the content that you can only get at Netflix, um, it it makes it. Pretty easy to fork over ten or twelve or fourteen dollars a month uh, for access to all that content. That's true. And one of the things that I find that's really you know compelling about this story, and we keep going back to Brazil, but Brazil is a country. If you go back and look over the last five or six years, the country has been embroiled in political instability. There's been scandal after scandal. There's been bribery accusations against high government officials. There's been high levels of inflation. Uh, they've been in a recession for the last two years. And yet with all that going on, Netflix has been experiencing explosive growth in the area. And so I think that's one of the that's the value proposition is there. Even if people can't afford a lot of luxuries, they can afford ten or eleven dollars a month for streaming Netflix. Yeah, they're coming in at a great price point, uh, even in a market like Brazil that is uh, experiencing some issues. Um, one market where I think we have these huge expectations as investors and as consumers for a lot of multinationals. Um, 
where Netflix is frankly not going to see massive, massive growth is China. And that's because this is this nut that they've tried to crack for a while. And they're kind of there now, but not really in the same way that they are in all these other countries. Right, Danny? You're exactly right, Dylan. A little bit of background on China to kind of help set this up. China has very strict rules regarding imported material, and that extends to content as well. And when Netflix was trying to you know, break into the Chinese market, one of the things that they were up against um, was a government regulation that said no um, service could have more than 30% of um, foreign content. So that's going to be all content in the United States and every other country. So there was a very small area for them to break into. So what Netflix did is they partnered with Baidu. Baidu is the uh, online search uh, engine of choice in China. And Baidu has a service called iKiyi. iKiyi is widely considered to be the Netflix of China. And so they partnered with iKiyi and with Baidu. And you can see some Netflix originals on iKiyi's streaming service in China. But with the nature of that, contract and it being more of a kind of licensing deal than you know them being able to pull in these recurring sub uh, subscription revenue um, figures every every quarter or every month um, that's gonna just change the way that they're able to make money there right I mean it, it kind of caps what things might actually look like for Netflix in China at least for the foreseeable future right it completely changes the dynamic of how they make money there and you're right they they're not going to be able to get the recurring revenue stream from the subscriber base. What they'll do is, you know, they'll negotiate with Baidu and with IKEA. I recently found out that sometimes it takes for up to a year for content to be approved. Once it's submitted to the government, it has to be approved before it can go on the air. And sometimes those approvals can take more than a year. Yeah, so don't expect anything too big out of China, uh, at least for Netflix's results specifically. If you are interested in seeing what is going on with the streaming space in China, though, um, there are kind of some recent developments with Baidu and Ike, uh that might give us a little bit more insight into what's going on in that market. One of the, one of the news stories that hit recently was that Baidu is considering uh, an IPO for its streaming service Ike. Um, valuing that company at somewhere between eight and ten billion dollars, and you know there's been some controversy around that before. Robin Lee, who is the CEO of Baidu, uh, last year tried to spin that off and actually buy it and take it private, and there was a little bit of a shareholder uproar over that. They abandoned that plan, so now they're trying to spin it out as a public company. What they were planning on doing, though, was maintaining more than 50% control of it and spinning off the remainder. Uh, but we do have some research out there that kind of gives us a little insight into the, the market in China. Um, streaming video is extremely popular in China uh, with an estimated 144 million subscribers that will tune in this year. And that's an 80% increase over last year. And I think just for context, think about that, was it 50 million subscriber count that Netflix has in the United States right now? I mean, that, that is a massively larger market at the moment. 
And, and IKEA, actually, according to some estimates from J.P. Morgan um, that we got via eMarketer, uh, they forecast that this year IKEA will have 99 million subscribers. So effectively, twice what Netflix has in the domestic market and nearly what we have worldwide. Which is absolutely crazy. Um, and, and, and it doesn't seem like you know Netflix will really get any meaningful exposure to this market. But with the possibility of IKEA being spun out and kind of run as its own public company at some point, um, we might get a little bit more flavor for what those types of deals look like for Netflix, and um, you know just kind of what the appetite for streaming content looks like in China going forward. Because eventually, I'd have to think Netflix is going to want a slightly larger piece of that pie and try to figure out how to make that happen. You know, I know that they've been working on it, and and Reed Hastings has said, and the company has said in the shareholder letter that you know that they just don't have a way into the country, at least not meaningful at this point. They've got the licensing deal with the IKEA service. They may be able to license some content with some other providers there, but for the time being, the rest of the world is their oyster. That's still plenty to work with, though, isn't it, Danny? <laughs> um, it is. You know, you got seven billion people on the planet. If you take out the population that, you know, just really can't afford Netflix, that still leaves several billion people as a potential customer base. Yeah, and um, based on some estimates, it seems like they're going to have to reach quite a bit of that customer base uh, to live up to their current valuation. But that means that there's a lot of room for them to grow. It is that you know, and and like you said, there, there's two different levers that they pull. The first lever is they continue to add subscribers. Those subscriber, you know, that subscriber growth has been growing remarkably quickly internationally. The second lever is over time, as they you know get more customers, as they become more mature in some of these international markets, they increase the price a little. I, I think the sky's the limit for Netflix. Anything else on the company or on the upcoming earnings report before I let you go, Danny? Um, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, Netflix under underestimated last quarter a little bit. They they got far more subscribers. I think they estimated just over three million, and they ended up with five million. I think part of that had to do with the timing of some of the releases of their original content. Uh, but I, I'm excited to see uh, what they do for subscriber numbers this quarter, and if they, you know, just beat it or if they blow it out of the water. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Thanks for hopping on, Danny. Thanks. Have a good rest of your day. You too, listeners. That does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any feedback or questions for us, you can always shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Danny Venna, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!